Well, hello. Welcome back to Between the Lines Recovery. I'm Jay Lind, and I'll be your host. This is episode 31 of the podcast, and today I'll be interviewing Nisha, a therapist who found her way into healthy recovery when she was just 24 years old. Can't wait to find out how she did it. But before we get started, just a quick reminder for all of you to take a minute when you're done listening today to rate, review, and follow Between the Lines Recovery on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you may go to get your podcast fix. You can also click the Support This Podcast link in the episode notes if you'd like to go the extra mile and donate a few bucks a month to the cause. Every dollar you give helps me continue producing and publishing quality content like today's interview with Nisha. Also, one quick shout out this week for new listeners in Iceland. Between the Lands Recovery is now being heard in 19 countries in 40 of the 50 United States of America. Keep coming back, Iceland. Maybe I won't tell anyone that Iceland is actually quite green. Your secret is safe with me. Well, that should just about take care of all the housekeeping today. Time to get right into the guts of the episode. So this is the good news. The good news is brought to you by OnStage. OnStage is a theater outreach and audience development program collaborating with colleges in and around Minneapolis and St. Paul. OnStage uses teaching artists to facilitate in-class discussions about relevant social, political, and cultural topics that bubble up in plays currently running in local theaters. What an incredibly worthwhile mission it is. If you want to learn more about it, or if you want to make a donation to the cause, please check them out at onstagemn.org. That's onstagemn.org. Well, look at that. The good news story this week, like on stage, also comes from Minnesota, the land of more than 10,000 lakes. And I can confirm that because I counted them. CBS News is reporting that beginning in 2024, college will be free for Minnesota residents whose families earn less than $80,000 a year. That's right, free. Starting next school year, thousands of Minnesota students who qualify can attend any of the state's colleges and universities for free under a new program approved by the legislature and sent to the governor's desk for his signature. Way to go, Minnesota. Another fine example of what it means to be Minnesota nice. Anyway, that was the good news. Now let's get to the interview already. My guest today is Nisha. Nisha is a licensed therapist working in private practice. I'm excited to have her on the podcast today for a few reasons. Most notably because she's one of the very rare birds who managed to get into recovery while she was still quite young, but also because Nisha is a woman in recovery. And I would argue that as hard as it is for anyone to ask for help and get into recovery, the stigma associated with alcoholism and addiction is even stronger for women, and that only makes it harder for them to get the help they need. Also, 
Just a side note, Nisha tells me that as a kid, she once fell into one of those little man-made ponds at her local mall. Well, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let's hear what Nisha has to say. So, Nisha, welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, All right. Well, I would like to uh, start from the top and sort of let you um, tell us your story um, without me digging too much into it. Um, So why don't we just start with where your, where and how and when uh, your relationship with alcohol began. So let's go back to, you know, the the early days and then we'll get to how it ended. That's the better part, but let's first start with how, how it began. Yeah, for sure. Um, Such a great question. So for me, it started at a really young age. Um, I was born and raised in Macon, Georgia. Um, Not many Indian people there. When I was there, my family moved there. My dad actually was the first Indian there, believe it or not. I know, I know. And, you know, and I picked the two places that I fit in best soccer, really good at it. I mean, I was just seen as the same as my teammates, right? Mm -hmm. There was no, there was nothing else out there. And so that, and then when I became like 15, 16, it was partying. I was so good at it. I fit in like a rock star. You know, and it started out as fun. It was just what we did on the weekends, right? Um, nothing abnormal from what my peers weren't doing, to be honest. It was it was the culture of the schools we went to and and what we did. Right. So that's how it started. Like, so you're thinking like, you know, middle of high school somewhere, right? Yeah. Yep. Middle of high school. That's right. Right. Yeah. So that that's, you know uh sadly i guess unfortunately uh kind of normal time for kids to start uh, at least experimenting with drinking you know um it's about the same time it was for me but of course i have a son who's just finishing his freshman year but it won't so not for him it's gonna be much it's gonna be much later <laughs> right uh, right uh so that's so then so then uh from there how does it escalate you know and like mm-hmm. what were the what was the slow progression usually there's some kind of progression where it goes from regular you know teenage party and kind of stuff to problematic drinking right right and I think it was you know there was glimmers of it when I was in the younger ages like sometimes I would drink by myself or if I was boredom like bored um I had a few years where I had minimal supervision um yet I still you know passed school and all that magically but I mean that's what I would do um and then college you know again I just lived the I found my group of people it was you know, the Greek life and we binge drinking was normal. Yeah. You know, um, it's sad, but it was things that it, it was praised, right? It was celebrated. And then it was normalized by like, oh, if you don't remember, it doesn't count. So mm-hmm. if you made a fool of yourself, like no one mentioned it the next day. Oh well. Um, and then we would, you know, drink to celebrate. We'd drink to, you know, mourn a bad grade, whatever it was. It was yeah. it was always included in the activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also when I think it became to the point of where I didn't have the stop button at all. Like it was just all the way every, every time I drank, um, rarely would I just go, oh, I'm going to have a drink and then hang out the rest of the night. Right. That, that did not exist for me. Um, and so I tried in college to quit. I think it didn't last very long. Because um, I was like, okay, this isn't normal. My roommates were like, uh, I think something may be up here. And I was like, okay. And when your college roommates tell you that, you know, even in that environment, if they think someone's drinking too much, it's probably true. Right, like, right. Because it's in a situation, like you said, where it is so normalized 
that uh, if you're sticking out in a situation where uh, everybody's drinking so much and binge drinking and acting crazy, uh, then that's probably a sign, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for them, it was different because they were not involved as heavily with like my friend group as I was. So what was normal to me is not normal to them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Probably not normal to most society anyways. Right. 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 Um, and so, yeah, I was justified it by like, that's just what me and my friends do. We're fun people. And literally, you know, we just didn't try to enjoy every day to the max. Um, but yeah. And then as I, when I graduated, graduated with a successful business degree, and of course I um, identified, you know, by my career and all of that, all those accolades. Mm -hmm. I mean, then I started doing geographical changes. Yep. Um, I got an internship in Atlanta. So then I moved here. I was still, that's when it was like, you know, I would drink socially and then I'd start drinking alone more. I was bored again. Um, and then I moved to California. I had an awesome job there and I was climbing up the like work ladder, mm -hmm. but I was dying on the inside. Yeah, um, it just became miserable, and that's when it just took over to the point where I, it was just uncontrolled. I was like functioning, like people could not tell that I was drinking. Like you just could never tell. Um, yeah, but I think that's you know, I, and I did a similar thing. I was a teacher, and uh, people don't realize, I think, how exhausting that is. Yeah, so to 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 put that face forward that you know to cover it and hide it and and to allow yourself to continue it for for another day really which is sad um but that that never ending process of you know getting high or drunk or whatever it is you're doing and then feeling down and then covering your tracks and then putting on the face and going to work and doing everything you have to do while feeling awful awful on the inside and uh my job uh, at the time was obviously like where I had to like I was public speaking every day, you know, five five live shows a day right. as a as a as a teacher, um, and like just like any job where you're working with clients, customers, or whatever it, it might be, uh, you're not just sitting at a desk punching punching keys. You have to talk to people, and it really is a horrible process, and it just starts over again, and it's exhausting and. It's something that, you know, you, you can't keep up forever. So you, uh, you know, were, were functional as I was, but that can't last. Like you can't, you right. can't do that forever. You know, something's going to give eventually. Right. Yeah. 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 And it, it did, you know, I finally came to the terms where I knew that I either was going to continue on the course I was, but that was not honestly the life that I was meant to lead. Um, I, I've always had a strong connection with my higher power. Um, and I just remember the day that I was like, all right, God, like, we got, we got to change this. Like, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? Help me. I can't help myself. Um, and then I, I did, I, I courageously talked to my father who I was very close with and was like, Hey, like I have a problem. And he was like, no, you need to pray harder. And I'm like, no, that's why I'm here talking to you, you know? Right. Um, and it was new because never is it heard of again in the South Asian community, mm -hmm. let alone we don't talk about alcoholism and then number two i'm a female yeah so that's like are you sure um mm -hmm. uh, and so luckily you know my family hesitantly came in and was like what's really going on here um but then they quickly saw the seriousness of it um and so you know i willingly got the help i needed um i was supported by my family and I know everybody's like, well, no one willingly goes and gets help, but I really did. I will say 
because I knew that if I was going down the path I was, I wouldn't, I had more to live. I had more to do. Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad you said that because I do. I'm, I'm guilty of saying that too. Like, Ed, almost nobody anyway, just like basically blows the whistle on themselves and uh, <laughs> and goes to get help. But it right. is almost nobody. It's not nobody. It happens. You know, it really does happen. Um, people do catch themselves before that moment where, where they're backed against the wall. So, um, and it's a good message, I think, for people to hear, for my audience to know that uh, you don't have to wait until you get arrested. You don't have to wait until you get fired. You don't have to wait, you know, to hit that real rock bottom. If you can be strong like Nisha <laughs> and be be one of those few who uh, say, you know, they call call them call themselves in. You know, call your family, tell somebody. Because as soon as you tell someone who loves you, it, the ball's rolling, and they're they're going to come for it. They're going to come through and try to help you get the help you need. Right, and I agree. And I think once that once you start getting the help you need then the ball is in your court. Right. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure too. Like, it sure is. Shit. Now the ball a lot is of eyes on you, right? A lot of eyes. Right. On you. I've really got to do this thing. And it has not been easy. I mean, I've got sober at the age of 24. Yeah. That's like a really, really a hard age to do it. Like, so, <laughs> Oh, the earlier, the better. Yeah. For it, in the long term, the earlier, the better, but the earlier, the harder, one, because you're, you're, you know, people around you are drinking more than, and they're, they're yeah. still part of that younger, younger person, general culture of, of going out and drinking the weekends, less people have kids and families and stuff like that, that might slow them down eventually. Um, but also it's just, you haven't at, at that age, often you haven't had like so many negative consequences, right? A lot of people stop closer to my age, closer to 50, you know, because yeah. Because uh, it takes that time, or now you got kids, or you saw this happen, or you got a divorce, or you got all these DUIs, or or whatever, um, and you go, okay, I can imagine uh, twenty more years of my life not drinking. But when you're twenty four, ah, oh, like you know, I, I was in rehab with with some uh, people that age, and uh, I just felt for them, like how how hard it was going to be once they got out of the doors of rehab to go mm -hmm. back into that culture of a mid-20s American yeah. person you know yeah no absolutely and I think it was I think you know for me it's funny because I would have the old timers be like I mean yeah you're in here young but like oh my goodness you got a life to live and yeah. I did I mean I internally was like how am I gonna like get married how am I gonna turn 30 like how am I gonna celebrate these big things um and really what I did early on was like I hung out with the people who were solid, solid, yeah. in whatever recovery, whatever they were doing, they were solid in their foundation because that's who I wanted to be like, right. Um, you know, nothing wrong with young people in recovery at all. Right. But I just wasn't messing around. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's like, I, I was not. And so I put myself in the middle early on. Um, and I think doing that the first few years really allowed me the freedom to then partake in people's my age when you know when I met my husband they would go out and stuff and I was able to do that without going oh gosh let me do you know a prayer and white I'm not white knuckling it I didn't I, yeah I went confidently it just wasn't interesting to me anymore yep there, there, does, there does come a time where eventually that happens you know and that's another thing for people new in recovery to that they need to hear that it's not always as hard as that first party you go to uh, or the first time you go meet your friends at a, a, a bar, you know, uh, or bar restaurant or whatever, mm -hmm. um, or especially like, or the the first holiday season, right? That's always a hard one. Yeah. Or the first wedding, you know, like 
those are hard, but it does get easier and it does get to be something where you don't really think about it as much, which then it becomes dangerous and you got to remind yourself to think about it a little more maybe, <laughs> but uh, it does get, you're not, you don't have to white knuckle it for the rest of your life. No, you don't. And, you know, I think even when you talk to family and friends, right, if, if, they're going to be like, oh, my, our spouses, like, is this going to be like this forever? You're not going to be able to go to places forever, yeah. restaurants. You, go, you know what? Today I can't. Tomorrow, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Because yeah. yeah. I know some people that stay really far away from any type of bar or anything. Right. right? And then there's those that can be around it and be fine. Um, yeah. So it just depends. And you never know what your journey is going to look like. So it's like, just try to lead it. Like, hey, maybe for the next month. No, maybe the following month. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see, right? Play it by ear. And I think yeah. yeah, and I think the more, like you just mentioned, like, you know, talking to your friends and family, I think the more people we tell and the more transparent we are about it, uh, one, that's it's great for pe more people to understand what, what really is going on and uh, and to help destigmatize it a little bit. But also, it holds you accountable. It helps to hold you accountable by telling more people, right? So if you're at the bar then with uh, your friends and family and you've told everybody, what's going on, uh, makes it a little harder for you to slip, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that if, is true. You're not telling anybody. Usually we think that that means you're kind of planning the relapse, right? It's the mm -hmm. early stages of planning that relapse. If you don't, if you're there in that hard situation and you haven't warned anybody, then you're, you're just leaving the door open. Because if you told your, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your best friend, we're all standing there. Uh, you're going to have to work real hard to sneak a drink or do whatever you need, need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or whoever you use for accountability, telling right. them plan ahead. Yeah. You know, I work with a variety of clients now and the, the younger ones, it's interesting, college age, starting to have to question their drinking because people make choices that they wouldn't make when they're sober. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that ends them up in a hospital. Right. And so I'm like, all right, we got to take, we're going to take a break. And they're like, yeah, I guess we're gonna take a break. How are we going to take a break? They're like, I'm in a sorority. What am I going to do? And I'm like, and I walk through, I'm like, okay, wait, I live this life. Okay. I know what it is. Okay. So you know how you have your like Coke bottles and everybody's like pre-partying with them. Go ahead and take your own with mm -hmm. nothing. In it. Nobody yeah. know. pressure off. When you go to the bar, tell the bartender, Hey, I'm a DD. Just make my drinks look like a drink with no alcohol. Yeah. Okay, great. When they can slowly, when people can slowly start, you know, doing these things where they don't feel like, oh gosh, someone's going to notice and make a big deal or someone's going to go have one, have one, have one and bother the crap out of you. But if you can plan ahead, that also safeguards yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I can't, I can't think of a more difficult situation to do that in than, than college, you know, Greek life, yes. college, you know, I, I went to a big, a big school and I wasn't in a fraternity, but I was certainly part of the big, you know, scene where everyone's going to parties and, and going to the football games and doing all that kind of stuff and going to the bars with, with, you know, hundreds of people and really like chugging pitchers of beer and throwing up right in the bar and laughing about it, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and continue to drink. Um, and, you know, I think I'd like to think that there it is like, you know, the society is becoming more accepting of, of alcoholism and addiction as a real problem and real disease. And the stigma is fading a little bit, um, but that's the last place it's going to fade. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, I agree. And I think there are some universities doing a great job. They actually have um, young, sober um, clubs and communities. Right. If you go to your college, look on wherever, you can find it. Right. Like, it's kind of cool 
Yeah, I, no, I think that's, I, I've seen that stuff happening. Yeah, and they have the support. And I agree that like, slowly people are starting to share their experiences, right? Like I myself didn't share my experience with a lot of people for a really long time. Like I kept it close to me. It was the people that knew about my recovery that supported me in my recovery, my family and a handful of close friends. And that was it. Like it was nobody's business, but it was nobody's business because there's always that guilt and shame behind it. Right. Um, Until you realize that it's, you know, you either have a pain, you have a hardship and that's your coping mechanism really because you don't have any other skills. Right. And so you use it as a solution to a lot of painful things. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you have it as you, as a, a solution to painful things and something you do, you associate with celebrating good things. Right. So it's there for, for all things. Correct. Uh, and if you have a genetic predisposition, then you're totally screwed. You're right. like, right. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> um, one thing you mentioned uh, earlier that I wanted to jump back at to um, was the difference of being a woman in recovery uh, early on. Um, and so I, I guess just talk about your experience there and how, how, uh, you know, what it was like, do you think that you were treated differently when you were, as you talked about it, or what did you see or hear in, uh, from other people in recovery during those stages? Okay. Um, so I know, uh, I feel like in my experience, one, it's been a lot of, uh, 50 year old white dudes, uh, and, you know, it, it's more and more diverse, I think, in the rooms of AA and in rehab. There's more and more people that yeah. don't look exactly like me. Uh, yeah. But uh, still, the vast majority of them seem to be, it's directed towards, uh, you know, upper middle class, white, straight guys. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think um, for me being young, it's funny. I think one of like when I um, went to meetings, one of my first few ashings and whatever, there'd be like an old white man that would be like, ah, you don't belong in here. Like literally like, why are you here? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, what? I was like having to prove like myself to be like, no, I'm like, I belong here. I earned my seat. Yeah. Because I just didn't look the part like you're saying. Right. Um, And so, yeah, it was tough. And I did not have, let me see locally there was nobody my age like everybody that I hung out with was probably 15 plus years older than me um and then we had a really strong group of women so we hung out and literally we're like best friends it did not really it's it's funny how when you have a common goal and and you share so much experience and and vulnerability that you just become friends right it's not so fast so fast. And so I'm sure people at restaurants were like, what is she doing with all that table full of like old white women? <laughs> but like, I didn't yeah. notice and we didn't yeah. notice. But yeah, that's sometimes true. we'd laugh about it. You know, we'd be like, this is hilarious. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I was young and then I even looked younger. So it was just funnier, mm-hmm. um, you know. But yeah, yeah, I think that part was hard, but I didn't, I guess I didn't feel like I was missing anything because I couldn't connect with somebody like my age specifically or female, my age. Um, yeah, I think it's true. I think what you mentioned, yeah, that sometimes because of that, especially, so we bond so fast in, in rehab recovery and AA meetings because of those things. Like we share one, we just have been walked into a room and been really vulnerable with a bunch of strangers and then been shown love in response to it. So uh, we're like instantly connected. Like, you know, me, you, you feel what I feel. Uh, and then if you're, if you're part of a subgroup of that, so the women in recovery, I, yeah. I like 
are really strongly bonded, like you said, because they know uh, they are, uh, you know, they're kind of a minority in the group, in the rooms anyway, of, of, of 12 step programs or in rehab. They are not a minority uh, that are struggling with addiction or alcoholism. They're half, just like they're half of everything else. It affects everybody uh, mm -hmm. the same way, but less of them in meetings and in rehab, that means less women are getting help because of some stigma probably right that still exists that's even stronger than it than it you know makes it even harder for women to ask for help than men i think uh that's a a, a theory that i don't have any scientific uh, uh -huh. no up. i think that's i think you're right i think you're so right i um i think there there is it's it's unheard of it's unexpected it's weird i was just talking to a friend recently about it and i was like hey like there's a whole like plethora of things you don't know about me and, and in another area, I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm looking to change, like, you know, be able to help more people. I'm um, in a broader spectrum than I just do one-on-one, -on -one, you know, therapy. And she's like, oh, cool. And so I was telling her, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I stopped drinking at 24 for a reason. Like all my friends know I don't drink. Yeah, right. They don't know why, but they knew I stopped. Um, right. And then I questioned it. And so I was like, yeah, I was like, I made horrible decisions and did it. And she goes, you know what? you did what we all at the age of 35 wish we would have done like way earlier in our lives. She was like, you're just out of the ball game. She was like, I have a plethora of embarrassing moments and just not needed moments if I just didn't. Yeah. Think of all the ones between 24 and 34 uh, that wouldn't be there. Right. Think of all the yeah. ones every year, I guess. Just cringing moments, you know, right? I'm like, I don't have yeah. those. Really. I have those way early on, but not yeah, or, or waking up in the morning going, Oh no, what did I do? What did I say? Yeah. You know, how do I have to cover my tracks? And that's nice to not wake up that way. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so what do you do today uh, for your recovery? What does it look like today? Today, so for me, it is staying in the middle, really having a strong connection with my higher power. Mm. That is a day to day. That's daily. That's a must. Mm -hmm. That's part of my foundation. Um, a gratitude is another big one. Yeah. Um, and the biggest, I'd say, is giving back, right? Like that is the biggest one. And luckily, my work aligns with that. So I'm like living it. And then I'll get like, oh, no, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And I have you know, great friends that remind me, like, you do it for a living. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah okay. You're way ahead of everybody else. because I like have those panic <laughs> moments. I still do, right? Because they, like you said, the longer you have, they're like, well, then you can also forget. But, you know, I do remember what it was like. And I don't, I don't ever like shy away from it. And I'm starting to talk about it more now. So I think just in my own journey and openly. So I think that helps too. Yeah, but it's great. Yeah, I think those are like, you know, two big parts of my, what I still do is uh, gratitude. And we're going to get to that in just a second. I'm going to ask you to say something, talk about something you're grateful for uh, today, but also, yeah, giving back. And so um, in, in a big way that the podcast does that for me, you know, like I feel like yeah. doing, doing this um, gives me a chance. One, this counts as a meeting, you know, it's just two of us talking to each other. So it only takes two, they, they, they say. Right. I get the same feeling from having this conversation with you that I do from a meeting. And that's you know that there's people out there uh, listening uh, really all around the world, which really blows my mind that there's like, a, we just added somebody I, I saw in the 
on the uh, report, there's a new person or people listening in Iceland. So ah. someone's listening to us in Iceland, Nisha. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe they just listened to the last episode and then quit. But who knows? Uh, uh, just that there's people out there listening, going, "Oh yeah, I feel that too." She's talking about the, you know a, a way that I felt too, and uh, and then they're you know getting out of their car after listening to the podcast on the way to work, and they're feeling a little better. Uh, like that, I just got I got goosebumps just thinking about that, you know. And so if there's not a better reason to stay on the right path, it's that. So I can keep feeling that, that you, keep, you know, you're uh, um, willing and able uh, to to help other people out of the dark places uh, that we know exist, you know, and uh, and we know how good it feels to be on this side of it. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can keep helping other people get there. Absolutely. And I think it's important. It's almost like it's um, I see it as my responsibility. Yeah. Right. Like it's my responsibility to be able to help other people and to help them if they're open to it um, and give them solutions that may work for them. Yeah. Like and I was given a second chance, which is pretty cool. A lot of people don't get it. You know, yeah. a lot of people go in and out and it's torture and it's just like, I, I don't, I guess I don't um, count my blessings short or like, just like, oh, well, I got it. It's yeah. I'm very cool that I have the journey and I've had the journey I had. Right. Um, it's, it is unique and a lot of people don't get it. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, but I think it's great. I feel the same kind of responsibility and, uh, you know, the more people who, who know about it, uh, the more people who will get it when, uh, if their son or daughter has a problem or Absolutely. if their husband or wife has a problem, uh, and then they find out and they don't have any experience with it. Uh, my wife didn't have any experience with it in her family, um, in her history, and it just, you know, blindsided her, and she didn't know anything about it, and uh, that's not her fault. She's lucky <laughs> that she didn't know yeah. anything about it, um, but it certainly would have helped, you know, so over time, she learned more, uh, you know, but she had to learn the hard way, and and that's hard, so I'd, I'd like for, for people, uh, you know, to the, the more knowledge you have about it, the, the easier it will be if it ever comes your way. And sadly, it's going to, it probably affects somebody in your life right now, whether you know it or not. There you go. Absolutely. Um, let's do, let's, uh, before we get to our gratitude, um, I always like to ask my guests for some kind of recommendation for something like a recommendation of a, of a book or a, a, a movie or music or something that you're watching, you're listening to. It doesn't have to be recovery related or anything, just like something that you like. It's your chance to be an influencer, right? Whatever you say, the stock's going to go way up here. In <laughs> you, tell, you tell me that I buy the stock and then I publish the episode and then boom, through the roof. We're going to be millionaires together. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Okay. Um, hmm. You know, this is going to be a funny, funny, like, one that I have because it's going to be interesting because I know your follow-up questions. So I'm going to go ahead and okay. tackle them. Yeah. Um, the book, especially if you're early on, even if you're not early on, you're just in a journey of improvement and whatever. I'd say the spirituality of imperfection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that book was a game changer for me. I, um, because I became like a, an adult at a very young age. Right. Right. And so it was pointed out to me early on that like, they were like, you don't know how to have fun. Like, just have fun. Stop taking this so seriously. And I was like, what do you mean I have fun? And they're like, Here, here's the book. 
right? <laughs> because they're like, you're a perfectionist. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm like, my siblings are perfectionists. I'm like the one who doesn't care and I'm all over the place. Uh-huh. And that book was a game changer. And unfortunately, I can't tell you how because I can't remember it. Right. <laughs> and that's a just, that's a me personal thing. It's something that happens to me a lot that yeah. I've also been struggles with. When I read books, I soak in whatever messages I need at that time. And yeah. then I don't remember. Oof. Yeah. I, I wish I've like, like hit my head against a wall trying to figure out why am I like this? But that's just how my brain is. Yeah. That's, that's another really good lesson. Uh, and a topic for, for another podcast, probably, probably about, uh the neuroscience and whatever about your brain that some brains are just wired and they learn in different ways they and, do and remember and retain knowledge in different ways and whether it's remembering the the lesson or the message or other people who can who don't remember the message or the lesson but they'll tell you all the characters in the book exactly what they did and all the details yeah. of the plot but they didn't soak in any of what it what was it about right Which, right, right i was an english teacher and so the part you remember that's the, that's the important part by the way yeah. you know like how yeah. did it make you feel and what did you learn uh that's what the authors want you to remember so that's absolutely lucky. yeah yeah and it's written from a, I think it's written from a religious standpoint but I always tell people take that with a grain of salt if it doesn't sit with you or if your religion's different yeah. try to overlook that because the overall message I think is very helpful and it helped me let go in my perfectionism a little bit yeah. and help me see through a different light and, and you know function as well yeah I think uh as I said, another side note, kind of, that's something that scares a lot of people away from, from 12 step programs as well as this higher power, higher power talk in the, if the religious or whatever, spiritual aspect of recovery. Uh, and so I mentioned it a lot, but I'm going to mention it again. Now I'm an atheist. I was an atheist before I got into re- rehab and recovery. I'm still an atheist. Yeah. Uh, it didn't slow me down one bit. You don't have to like start reading the Bible and, and going to church yeah, um, it's not what it's not what you might be imagining. Uh, higher power can mean a million different things, and uh, you find one that works for you. But most importantly, is to be in the room with those other people in recovery and uh, and let them support you. So for me, the higher power always was the program. Like it was the twelve steps. It was uh, it was AA. Yeah. So I I just, it just meant that I knew there's a high, there has to be something greater than me to to solve this problem. I couldn't mm-hmm. solve it alone. I tried for forty years zero zero percent uh success rate and so i needed another a power greater than me to to help and it was those things and 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 the things that the the values and and concepts behind the steps absolutely absolutely and i think that is something people have different relationships with higher powers and gods and it you know everybody's journey is unique yeah and so, you know, I sometimes will simplify it for some people who are like, I don't, I don't believe, I don't, why is there something greater than me? What is there something? And I said, okay, fine. Let's, let's boil it down to this fear. Can you see it? No. Can you touch it? No. How does it make you feel? Oh, scared and anxious. Okay. Faith. Can you feel it? No. Can you touch it? No. How do you think it, okay. You don't feel it, but I feel it. How does it make me feel? And they're like positive and strong and, and, right. you know, balanced. And I'm like, okay, there you go. If you're gonna believe in fear, why not just yeah, switch it? same thing. You don't, yeah, you don't have to be able to see it and touch it, right? You don't. Know thing, right? And so when the, and they're like, huh? Okay, I'll marinate on it. <laughs> enough. I'm not trying to convert anybody. Right, um, start right. But I do think the solution outside yourself. You do have to admit that there's a solution outside yourself. Yeah, because no one got in there, you know, 
And the only the only reason you get there is because you tried to, to do it yourself and you couldn't because everybody wanted to stop before they ever got into yeah. any kind of recovery. Um, all right, last thing here uh, is gratitude. So let's let's talk about something we're grateful for. Um, I'll let you uh, you give us uh, give us something first, and I'll I'll talk about something too. Okay, I will say I am grateful for where I am today in my life. I had a moment where I was talking to my mentor um, about a month ago, and we were just talking. I was walking around my house doing some steps getting my steps in. And um, he was like, pause for a second. He was like, do you realize when I met you 12 years ago, you told me you wanted to be married and you wanted two children, you want a house and you want to be a therapist and you wanted to manage your own time. And I was like, holy shit. Like I literally stopped in my tracks and I just looked around. I was like, he's like, you're living the life. And I was like, oh, like that gratitude right there. I mean, brought me tears and just goosebumps. And I was like, holy shit. Like, Wow. Yeah, that's it. That is so great. That sometimes it takes someone else to to remind you. Yeah, they're like, "Do you realize?" Because I'm always thinking, "What's next? What's next? What's yeah. next?" And just pause. So I think that that's what I would say. Oh, that's great. Um, that's perfect. Uh, I say to, for me today, my I, I, it was really yesterday was Mother's Day, but I'm gonna go with moms um, today. I'm grateful for my mom, who definitely. Uh, it's like the you know there's a higher power for me I guess I could I could have used my mom too as another example she's the one who has really been uh, really the full backbone of the recovery from from the start through the rocky parts and uh, now she's hopefully can relax a little bit as I'm as a smoother recovery today than I was uh, early on you know and uh, as uh, you can figure out from my age, she's no no spring chicken, and so they like I you know it it hurt to to know that I was responsible for putting her through that kind of stuff when she should be you know just chilling in retirement and living this happy life, and I just gave her uh, a new a new conflict and a new problem in, in in life. But now we both we weathered it together, and it, and it brought us even closer together. And I and I think I'm really grateful for that. And also for my ex, who is a great mom to my boys, too. So, yeah. and again, through, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a rocky time early in their lives. And now I think both of us uh, can see that uh, it was worth it. And uh, now that we're, we're in smoother, smoother seas and uh, the boys are, are, our kids are doing great. I'm doing great. So my mom can chill and relax and be happy. And so can my, my kids. Mom. So I'm especially for those moms. I love that. That's so sweet. That's funny. I, um, I just want to add this little thing. Sure. So yesterday, my parents came up and I saw my mom mm-hmm. and, um, or yeah, so it's this weekend anyway. So my husband and my, um, dad were going to have a drink. And so they got up to get their drinks. And then I got up cause I was going to get some ice cream. And she's like, are you going to have a drink? And I just looked at her. I was like, mom. <laughs> and she did. I mean, like 15 years later, she's like, no, no, no. Like the panic. I didn't mean it. Like, I'm so sorry. Like she offended me. And I was like, mom, yeah. it's not offensive. It's quite funny. Yeah. But it just like, came out of your mouth. Like it was, <laughs> it was like one of those moments where your parents like, oh shit. And no, like, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, it's been really great having you on. Disha. Thank you for taking your time to talk to us. Um, and I'll say your 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 clients are, are lucky. You sound like you're really 
thoughtful, empathetic, caring person, and you are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting to give back and help and your experience that you, the stuff that you've been through and what you've uh, overcome and continue to overcome uh, will just make you a better therapist, you know? So, so your, pa your patients, your clients, however you call them, are, are, are really lucky. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time out and, you know, choosing me to come on here and being able to share my strength and hope. Um, I'm hoping to do that more and more these days. So thank you for allowing me this opportunity. Thanks again to Nisha for coming on the show today and for being so open and honest about her experience. I certainly appreciate her story, and I think it should be an inspiration for any young people out there who may be struggling to ask for help or even to believe that they're capable of getting sober and maintaining a healthy recovery. If you too learned something from Nisha, or if you just appreciated hearing her story, uh, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, blah, 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 blah. And again, please click the support this podcast link if you have a few extra bucks in the budget and you're feeling generous today. Also, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the podcast or about my book that you would like to share with me, or if you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast, please feel free to drop me a note at Between the Lines Memoir at gmail.com. Or you could just spread the word. Tell a friend if you have one, or if you don't, go tell a whole bunch of strangers, maybe on social media. That helps the most. Remember, the bigger the audience, the bigger the impact. But most of all, thanks for listening today. And in the wise, wise words of my Uncle Dave, keep it simple, be humble, and hope for the best. See ya. <laughs>